In this episode, there's loud visual cues all over the body shop, and it's obvious where things belong. It's a little fanatical, but you come back in a year and people are still doing it because the body techs appreciate the value that it's brought to their life. Welcome to the third season of the Collision Buzz podcast, presented by Driven Brands, the largest automotive franchise organization in North America. I'm your host, Ron Zapatello, bringing over 25 years of collision repair experience. Collision Buzz is a show that dives into the collision repair industry in support of independent body shop owners, bringing together industry leaders and operators to discuss solutions and insights for some of the most prominent challenges facing today's body shop. Attention Driven Brands franchisees, get ready for the ultimate online shopping experience exclusively for you at drivenadvantage.com. Say goodbye to juggling multiple sites for all your business needs and say hello to the one-stop shop for all things automotive, office supplies, equipment, cell phone programs, and more. With best in-class shopping and an ever-evolving assortment of products, you'll enjoy more savings, more deals, and more time than ever before. As part of one of the largest automotive buying groups in the industry, you'll shop with confidence by taking advantage of our enterprise-wide purchasing power, keeping more dollars in your wallet. Stay tuned for more information about how DrivenAdvantage.com will change the way you shop. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining today. We're here to talk about efficiency and streamlining our process. So today with us, we have Rich Fish. He is a fixed auto owner and operator currently with eight locations. Tell us a little bit about your story and how you started. I know it sounds like you started with one location and I heard that you were a franchisee of the year in 2016 and 2022 for Fix Auto. Tell us a little bit about that. Let's see. So my adventure in, I've been in the industry most of my career, starting at CCC in Chicago. I was one of the founders of Gerber Auto Collision and Glass and always loved the space, always loved the automobile, frankly enjoyed the technology aspect of serving the collective community. In any event, I'll skip forward a little bit, ended up in California and joined a guy, a fellow that I had eight collision centers as a COO, did that for about 18 months and really got a sincere interest to strike out on my own. And then lo and behold, M2, an early stage MSO that was housed in California, went belly up and they had somewhere around 30 locations in California. So the fellow that I was working on partnering with called me and said, hey, M2 is going to melt down, come to my office. And I said, yeah, I've been hearing that for 18 months. He said, I'm telling you, they're going to padlock the office on Monday and they're going to auction off every location on Friday. I'm like, oh my Lord, I'll be in your office in an hour. And so we bought two of those shops, Escondido and Carlsbad together. And my job was to get those two locations off the ground. And that was my first real exposure at the floor level where the rubber met the road to being a collision repair operator. I've been in the business. I understood a lot of it, but slogging it out every single day. So from 05 to 07, we did that. And then we split up in 07. I sold him Escondido and I took Carlsbad. Carlsbad was a big store, 27,000 square foot store. And I won't kid you, 05 to 07 was the most significant capitalistic character building moment of my life. We ran a marginal body shop at best. Our cycle time was marginal. Our quality was okay. We spent a lot of money on rental cars. And I kept saying to myself, there just has to be a better way. It's like getting up and signing up for an ass whooping every day. And most of the people in my industry or in my business, they didn't know any different because they grew up in it. But I did. I had worked in tech companies that were very process centric. It just didn't make sense that we were literally going to this high stress environment every day. And I wasn't sure how to solve it. But in 07, two great things happened to me. Number one, my partner, I decided to split up. I shouldn't call that great. It was emotional, but in the end, it was good. And then number two is I discovered the concept of Lean Six Sigma. And I was invited to an orientation, about a four hour orientation on Lean Six Sigma. And I, I won't kid you, I didn't do nothing about it. But I can tell you my mind was right for it because I 
I was coming off a two-year butt whooping and frankly, not proud of my business, not proud of what I was doing for a living. And I said to myself, this isn't what I want on my headstone. So I go to this meeting and there's a tall fella. I was put on by PPG. goes by the name of Outlaw, very evangelical, very passionate about what he did. And I just sat there and fell in love both with his leadership style and the concept of Lean Six Sigma. And in that meeting, I promised myself that I would adopt this way of doing business. I would over time, learn everything humanly possible about every aspect of it. I would steal every piece of knowledge that I could and set out to be the best regional operator using Lean Six Sigma as a foundation for running my business. And that's served me very, very well. It has brought sanity in, into our business. It's brought a better quality of life for our employees. I don't lose sleep like I used to. Between 05 and 07, we used to have a list of 30-day cars. With the exception of the pandemic, I haven't had a 30-day car in eight years. I have them now, but that's because of the challenges we're all facing in the landscape. So in any event, we kept moving that way. And I had one body shop and in 09, we went to two and we kept growing it using that model. And it served me very well. And I won't kid you, I have to be the conscious of it every day. I have to cheerlead it. I have to own it myself. And I can tell you if people that are listening to this, and you're saying, oh, I want to do that. Well, you got to own it. You can hire a consultant, but the consultant will not do it for you. You have to make it part of your fiber and your being. Lean isn't like closing your shop and making it nice and organized over the weekend. It's a lifelong commitment to continuous learning and continuous improvement and the pursuit of excellence. I love it. And what made you to get to eight locations? So I joined Fix Auto. They invited me to a conference in Colorado Springs and two things happened. I was in that conference and frankly, enjoying it, networking with other owners, commiserating and sharing stories. So I had been a single operator now for a few years. And as many of you know that are listening to this, it can be darn lonely right? I found affiliating with other people in that room very comforting. And I was also getting insight and wisdom from people that have dealt with an issue or a problem as well. So it was quite nice. So when they launched the franchise organization, I was one of the first ones to sign up. And by that time I had two locations. So we migrated to Fix Auto Tustin and Fix Auto Carlsbad. We did it for a few years and then Fix Auto really started to wrap an infrastructure around the franchise organization, get some marketing might. We're signing DRP deals with key top 10 carriers. And there was a time where I just said, man, this is a model. I can buy a marginally or underperforming body shop, slap some lipstick on it, paint it, invest in some new equipment, hug the employees that are there and tell them we want them to be part of our family and add two or three DRPs, a few from Fix Auto and a few that I bring myself. And we've got a business. That's essentially what we did. Okay. And we have Chase from Arkansas. He's got five locations down there. It sounds like you were a veteran in the past, which is awesome. And thank you for your service. I appreciate that. You're also, from what I hear, Little Rock was our thousandth store. So tell me a little bit about you and how you got your start. Yeah. So I had a lawn business after I exited the military, along with uh, being a fireman in the city of Little Rock, Arkansas. Grew the lawn business to quite large little over 400 clients total with six crews that were running. I was fortunate enough to be able to sell that company one day. After the sale, I was fishing and hunting and going to the fire department. And I thought that's where I'd the rest of my days out. I was done with an off day job. I had a body shop owner in Hot Springs, Arkansas that this came in and hired me to help them kind of straighten some of their business out. They'd opened a second location and were struggling with the business aspect of things. So I stepped in and fell in love with the industry. I enjoyed it. I come from an antique car dealer family. So cars have been a big part of our lives growing up. At that point, I was able to buy into the company with the two locations. I was able to buy into one of them. My growth 
plan and the things that I wanted to do as far as scaling to multiple locations and franchising and doing like we've done today. Didn't really have that support from the partner and we did split ties and it went our separate ways. So I bought the one location and then we moved to two and three and four and five rather quickly. I did leave the fire department about two and a half years ago to do this full time. People called me crazy. And a lot of the drive behind growing and growth and being successful in this business is knowing, looking back that everybody, you know, looks at you and says, you're leaving the fire department. You have a great career and you're fixing to throw it away for a body shop. Yeah. Yeah. Y'all watch this. So fortunate enough, we were able to take what I had wanted to do for a couple of years. And now I'm in the driver's seat. Now we're going to do things the way I want to do them. I wanted better analytics. I wanted to be able to see what was going on and how to correct them and how to be a team player for my employees, the insurance company, and my customer. And how do you do that all within keeping good business? To this point, we're at five locations. We are looking at two more over the next few months. We'll kind of see how that checks out. Nice. And what actually got you there? Bringing yourself to CarStar or Driven Brands, was it the data and reporting or not being a silo location? It was Matt Fox with CarStar, my recruiter, I call him. He was as persistent as my army recruiter was when I was joining the army. But the good thing was every time I asked Matt, what about this? What about that? The guy had an answer to it. And that's what I like. Excuse my French. I didn't want any bull****. And there was none there. Answered all my questions. And, you know, when you've been struck down, oh, you have a small independent shop with no DRPs and you're standing on the street corner trying to shake people into your shop and you're starving to death. You don't know how you're going to pay your employees at the end of the week. And you've begged and pleaded and done everything you could do to get a DRP. And they all tell you, no, well, you know, we've got to, we got to make a change here. So finally I called Matt back. I said, dude, I think I'm going to do this. And at the time I'd opened my second location because I thought that was going to help and it didn't help things very much. So we franchised for the reporting, for the analytics, for the insurance relations to break us through the barrier that we were dealing with. We could not get anywhere with vendors. We couldn't get better discounts. We weren't able to obtain even a direct repair manager to even talk to us. And now we've got every major DRP that's out there and we have them now. And we, you know, we're having to shake them off with the stick at every location. We pick and choose which ones we want to use now, which is fortunate. Looking back three years, four years ago, it was like starving to death and I would have done anything just to get national general. Yeah, that's an awesome story. Sounds like you both came from other industries and you're both successful. Multiple store owners, you've decided to take what you've learned from those other industries and kind of wrapped them into the body shop and saw things that just didn't look right. Why are we doing this every day? Why is this a constant struggle? And you've come from different areas to where you could openly see that. That being said, to have that many locations for either of you, you have to be organized. You have to be streamlined. You have to have some sort of efficiency there. Otherwise, you'd be working on one all day. So what was the catalyst? What opened your eyes to say, I got to do something different. And we were starving to death. I'd look at CCC reports, didn't know what I was looking at. I'd look at KPIs, didn't really know what I was looking at. I thought I did. Told myself I did. I was real good at thinking I knew what was going on. You know, fake it till you make it. It's kind of what we were doing. And we were noticing that we were not getting any better. We were not getting any more business. We needed a technician. No one would give us the time of day to even come talk to us. They didn't want to work for a shop like mine. This little shop that didn't have any DRPs, didn't have enough work to sustain anything. It was kind of embarrassing. We thought we knew. And then a lot of things started coming to light of actually how this business works. And some embarrassment came in there. And I don't take embarrassment very well. I'm a very prideful person. And I felt that we've got to make a change. And I've got to get to surround myself with people that are smarter than me. I don't know everything about the business. I'm new to it. I'm walking into this and I'm running with it. And if you want to be successful, you have to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you, have more experience than you, and you're willing to listen to and grow with. And that's 
what we decided to do. And fortunately enough, I joined CarStar and that really at first was difficult on us. It was very expensive to get started into this and a lot of the changes we had to make, but we needed to make. You had to get up to date, right? Yeah, you get everything up to date. And fortunate enough, we were able to get a man named Joe Leewright as a field performance manager at CarStar. He was able to walk in and really comfort me on what we were going to do here and how we were going to do it and how we were going to get better. And if it wasn't for that man, I mean, golly, we would not be at five stores today. That's awesome to hear. Joe and I worked well together. He stopped by not that long ago up in Minnesota here. So Rich, tell me a little bit about your story. What was the driving force that kind of just made you say, this ain't right. We need to change the way we're doing things. My story is really twofold. It's the discovery and the use of Lean Six Sigma and applying those principles into the business. But I did that in advance of my significant relationship with Fix Auto. Two years into my journey of Lean Six Sigma, we opened our second body shop. We're doing well. It's running well. I'm proud of what I'm doing for a living. But I was also looking at the landscape going, man, I just feel like Caliber goes to one meeting at USAA and cut some deal and I lose two DRPs. And that scared me. Even though I knew I was good, my option was A, become an MSO in my own right, or B, find a way to create the illusion that I'm an MSO. And so that's when really Fix Auto became something that I thought, man, this could be like having my cake and eat it too. I wanted to grow my business, but I didn't want to do it with venture capital money. I didn't want to do it with a lot of outside money. I want to do it with the Fish family money. And so Fix Auto really provided that platform. So I joined Fix Auto to solve this issue that I could get out MSO'd. I feel like I could go to, into any insurance carrier and talk about the value proposition. But honestly, if I have two body shops, who am I? I'm nobody. So joining Fix Auto gave me the chance to affiliate with a broader group of body shop owners, many of which I had gotten to know, and they cared about what they did for a living. They wanted to be proud of what they did. And that was important to me. So I really joined for the protection that came with being affiliated with a broader multi-shop organization. I also was excited about the prospect of really and professionally building a brand out. Two body shops, you could build a brand, but 80 body shops in a market, you can really afford to build a brand. And that was exciting as well. And just access to people that have been down the road ahead of you. I bring a nice business acumen to the table, but I didn't bring a granular knowledge set as it relates to the nooks and crannies of running a body shop. And I've always tried to surround myself with people that can help me fill that void. I'll give you an example. My production managers, generally speaking, are former body men. I want them to be able to go toe to toe with the body tech on repair methods and things like that. And only a former body man can really get that level of insight when they're looking at repairs and repair quality and things like that. And I need that because I can look at a weld and say, oh, that's cute. Well, that doesn't really qualify for a good weld. The last part of the value that I got out of the fixed auto joining was, and this was unanticipated and it didn't really materialize for about a year to a year and a half was this crazy fraternal feeling you have, the sense of pride that you're building something together, that you've got each other's back, that you'll do what you can to keep each other safe. And candidly, you'll also hold each other accountable, right? If you have an underperformer, they better be raising their hand asking for a question because if they do, they'll have three owners at their shop the next day. Forget the fixed auto infrastructure or driven brands infrastructure. You'll have other fellow owners come into your shop and say, hey, here's what I'm seeing. That's invaluable. And the like, we've become really legitimate friends. And it's just very comforting. Capitalism can be a lonely undertaking. And it's been very comforting to fill that void through the fraternal nature of what we found at Fix Auto. So that coupled with my fanatical pursuit of Lean Six Sigma is really what's enabled me to grow my business. If you own one body shop, maybe two, the owner can be the conscience. The owner could say, hey, Shouldn't we have our air compressor serviced? When's the last time we did that? Don't we need the booth ceiling filters changed out? But when you have three, four, five, six, it doesn't work anymore. And so you have to systematize everything. 
And I'll give you an example. The key pieces of equipment in our shops, we built on PVC whiteboards. We had custom printed. It almost looks like a spreadsheet, but it, it calls out all the equipment in the shop, booth one, booth two, what inline air filters we have, what air compressors do we have, and all those key pieces of equipment. If they go down, we've got a problem. And they have dates on when they're serviced. They have a date that says they're next to be serviced. So we tried to systematize what I used to do when I had one or two body shops. And that's really what Lean Six Sigma is creating a system and using what's called loud visual cues, meaning we made big whiteboards and you have to walk by it every day when you walk into the paint department and you can say, wait a second, how come we haven't changed the desiccant balls in our inline filters? And so one kind of odd example of some of the things that we've had to bring to the table to allow us to run a broader set of body shops and systematize how we take care of them and how we run them. So let's dive into that a little bit more, talking about reorganization, doing a little different than the way things have been done in the past. What did you guys have to do when you were organizing the shop as a whole? How did that process go? Like, where did you start? So you're not wrong. There is a foundational jumping off point in Lean Six Sigma, and it's called the five S's. It's really about fanatically organizing your body shop. I'll give you an example. There's three levels of equipment in every body shop, primary, secondary, and tertiary. Primary is the stuff that your techs use every single day. Secondary, it's used once a week. Tertiary, eh, once a year. You need it, but you don't use it a lot. So there's no reason to take very important real estate in your body shop and store a tertiary piece of equipment. Body shops are notorious for hoarding equipment. You buy a new welder, what do you do with the old one? You keep it. Or my tech says, I'll take it. And I say, okay, you can have it for a dollar, but it's got to be out of my body shop in one day. Because what happens is they take it and then they just keep it at my body shop. So we got everyone involved. And I didn't want to be these owners that comes back from a conference and has all these great ideas for three weeks. I was going to own this for the rest of my career. And I get everybody together and I said, look, here's the deal. We could be better. I want more for you and your families. I want more for your quality of life. I want to reduce the stress in our body shops. And there's a better way to do this. And I've seen the light. And we're going to pursue this thing. We're going to start by organizing our body shops in a way that can't be measured. Every single piece of equipment in our body shops will have a place that it belongs. Not kind of, not approximate, exact. Why? You're my surgeons. I don't want you walking around looking for the AC charging machine when, frankly, your time is valuable. I want to respect your time. So I'm going to make sure that AC charging machine is right near where you need it to be. So you're not wandering around looking for it and wasting time. And of course, we asked for their help. We went through the whole shop and we labeled everything primary, secondary, and tertiary. And we worked on that. Then we bought parts carts. We were not a parts cart centric body shop, but we bought them. And frankly, before lean, you couldn't walk in our parts room. There was boxes everywhere. Post lean, you walk in our parts rooms with the exception of the supply chain challenges. There wouldn't be a part in our parts room. That's part of lean. The part crosses a threshold. The box gets open. It gets mirror matched and it goes to the parts cart in question, which by the way, is near the body man that is working on that part. We don't have a corral of parts 200 yards away from everybody. They're systematically located near the body techs. Why? They're the surgeon. I don't want them walking around looking for their parts carts. So we've tried to make it very easy. I hate to use this, but I can't think of a better phrase. Idiot proof. There's signs all over the body shop. There's loud visual cues all over the body shop. And it's obvious where things belong. I'll give you another example. Cleaning the shop. We have broom stations. They're loud. They're well-labeled. They're color-coded. So if you find a broom and it has an orange handle, orange tape on it, it goes to the orange broom station. And so what happens is it's a little fanatical, but you come back in a year and people are still doing it because the body techs appreciate the value that it's brought to their life. 
So that was the foundation of our pursuit of Lean Six Sigma is deciding to be a very clean workplace, an organized workplace, and most importantly, a safe workplace. Yeah, we do a lot of the same with our shops. It starts with the front office. All my front offices are immaculately clean and taken care of. And when a customer walks in the door, they have no idea they're in a body shop. Most of them are modern. I have one in Hot Springs, Arkansas. That's is a lodge field. It's got all old rustic wood and rock work and it's, it's crazy. They're all beautiful shops and, and that's what a customer loves to see. But then you go to the back and this is how you do it. It took me a while to figure this out. You find a 65 year old man that has retired and you hire him. And it's like Paul that not there to play games. He runs the parts room as far as parts checking parts in, but then the parts manager, obviously, then the mirror matching and things like that. He also maintains all the equipment as far as the hands equipment that are there, making sure that they're clean, they get issued out. When a technician needs a welder, he lets that man know, I need the welder. He makes sure that the welder gets to where it needs to go. The tasks are taken care of and that piece of equipment comes back the way it's supposed to. The younger generation, they don't care. They just use it. They throw the things on the floor. They break stuff. The things that have been broken over the past year and a half that I've hired an older gentleman to kind of ramrod these things, we're not breaking things anymore. When that air compressor needs serviced, it's getting serviced, whether he does it or he's tasking it out for our maintenance guy to do, which was another great move for us as we hired a full-time maintenance man that does nothing but go around to the stores and make repairs and service air compressors and filters and things like that. So now it's on him to see when these things are due. But the older gentleman that have hired for these shops to look over them, one of them is actually my dad at one of the locations. And they know, don't tell him, no, don't, you're not going to do that because you're probably going to do it. <laughs> That's not going to work. <laughs> no, it's not going to work. And they meticulously take care of things because the older generation, and I'm not saying they're old, just the older generation than me, and I'm 30, fixed to be 39 years old, they had to take care of things a lot better than the younger generation. And so- that's what we've incorporated in, and they keep a shop clean. They keep the 20-year-old porters around. They, oof, they keep them in line. So that was something that was great for us. We were not either a parts cart shop either. We were shelvings and things, and we went to parts carts, and it changed a lot for us. So we are parts cart fans now. It's funny. With the issues with the supply chain, I've had to add crazy levels of shelving back into the shop because we have no choice but to pre-order parts now. And the shops had no place to put them. So I put countless rows of shelving over the tech stalls just to queue up parts. We do a lot of Tesla work, so queue up parts that are coming in. And by the way, prior to the pandemic, we had a rule we would never pre-order a part. There's nothing good that came of it, but now we do. So we've had to pivot. So you've pivoted and you've worked with what the industry has brought to us and adopted something different. A lot of the times when I'm traveling into different shops, I'm seeing supplies that are just a mess, something that hasn't been touched in years. So did you guys have to go through that and just blow up the stocking process, the supplies, all the different parts and even sandpapers or materials, things like that. Yeah. So one of my jobbers called and said, Jason, we just got our last 3M filler pallet of it that we're going to get. And they told us it's going to be eight to nine months before they would get another shipment. He said, what do you mean to do? I said, send me the whole pallet. Turns out that was not true. So I had filler for a while, but as a sales technique or something, <laughs> had to been, but you know, during the height of all of COVID and supply chain problems that we're still dealing with, we didn't know what to do. We weren't able to get respirators. We weren't able to get N95 masks for our body techs. So, you know, when I was able to find those, we just swooped up every bit we could buy. It was a buying frenzy to hoard the things that we needed to conduct business. And then we had to get creative. I had a policy before there's, we don't order online parts, not happening, not doing it. 
you're not going to use online vendors. You're going to use the local vendors that are going to stand behind their product. And when we get them in, they're damaged or they're not correct. They're going to stand behind it. We're not spending time at the post office mailing this crap back. Well, we had to adjust to that. Now we're having to use online vendors a lot now. And I'm not going to say I'm happy about it at all, but it's just the nature of where this business has gone. Yeah, that's a very good point. I'm laughing because each of my shops has a credit card and I keep an eye on those charges. And it's crazy that eBay purchases, and you're right, five years ago or three years ago, I'd been like, hey, what's going on here? <laughs> now I'm like, great job, innovative. I'll never forget as long as I live. We got a door. I don't know where it came from. Let's call it Michigan. And it showed up on a Greyhound bus. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> we had to go to the bus station and get the door. That's how hard up we were. Otherwise, it was like a seven-month national back order. We've driven to Texas to pick up a navigator bumper from a salvage yard. It was the only one. Could not get the part. Wasn't happening. This car is tore down in my shop, and it's a state farm, and I'm on the clock, and we got to go. <laughs> so we sent a guy to Texas to pick up a $250 bumper. Yeah. Wow. It's nuts. Yeah, the industry has changed. and. You guys have changed it as well, right? You're innovating, you're thinking of different things. So we're organized in the shop. We're thinking of different ways of doing things. We've got multiple stores. Are you guys using repair stack or any of that to manage that inventory, like in the back of the house? We are using a repair stack that's, I'll say we're using it. We're getting it installed in our first location, I believe next week. What is repair stack? It's 3M. They organize it, barcode it. So kind of a Kanban system for materials management and digitized. Yeah. It. Yeah. It digitized bills out on the job into CCC and also it allows for a static number of inventory so it automatically reorders and restocks. And it's better than a jobber coming in and picking and choosing what he's ordering. You, you set your parameters of where you want your supplies Rich, I'm going to have them come and contact you. (laughs) Well, all right. So to be clear, we have a Kanban system for all of our materials management and clips for that matter. It's automated. And I have, by the way, heard good things about the 3M solution. So now that I've made that connection, you know, again, fanatically organized, everything has its place. Prior to our migration to that, each tech had a materials cabinet, one of those 3M red materials cabinets. And it worked fine. But we didn't have any great insight as to our materials use. And I wanted that. I wanted more of that. So we took all those cabinets away, which I won't kid you, was a little painful. But we took, here's what's crazy. Don't quote me on this, but I believe we had six body men in the shop. We took all the materials in the materials cabinet and put it into a newly fashioned Kanban cabinet. I, it took seven months later, I needed to order materials. That's how much <laughs> inventory that much we had. There. It was nuts. And we told everybody, you can have whatever you want. Just come get it every day. The materials cabinet will be open at nine o'clock. We're going to check it out. And now we have reports that, you know, how much material we distill it down to allied materials used per body hour produced. So somebody who's billing a ton of hours, they're going to use more materials. And we have, we have two reports in our company that I love. And I've, unfortunately, we've had to make ourselves. One is a tech scorecard which measures every element that a tech would care about, cycle time, inventory, sales, production efficiency, materials utilization, even the CSI attached to the files they work on. And then we do the same thing for writers as well. And again, Lean is about measuring things fanatically and more important about measuring, it's about sharing those measurements with your staff. Those reports are printed in color, posted on the wall, again, Lean Six Sigma, on the wall and right above that report, it'll say technician scorecard writer scorecard. All of our break rooms have a crazy series of either scoreboards or reports that are on the wall because I want our folks to know how we're doing. 
I don't hide that stuff from them. I want them to feel prideful when we're, our cycle time is down to seven days and our hours per day is up to 3.8 and things like that. That hasn't been achievable in today's environment, but prior to the pandemic, we were comfortably in the seven day cycle time. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Not necessarily cycle time, but you hit on a couple things that I want to expound on a little bit. The communication between the front and the back of the house. Would you both agree that without really good and detailed communication, you couldn't be where you're at. Yes. You have to all pull on the same side of the rope. Yeah, you have to have that. You can't have not caring about the needs of the customer, the promises we made to that customer. There has to be open and honest communication. We start, by the way, by mapping the car on the drive in front of the customer. We agree with the customer what we're going to repair and what we're not going to repair. And we map it with, again, loud visual cues. So when it goes back in the body tech stall and he has to begin his meticulous disassembly, that body tech knows what we're working on and what we're not working on. Prior to that, twice a year, we would fix the wrong side of a car and I would pay for it. Yep. Yeah. The morning meetings and every everyone is very clear of the production schedule and where we stand on as far as KPIs and where we stand with our insurance scorecard to show, hey guys, we're doing great or no, we're not. I was like, all right, you're going to have a good Christmas or you're going to have a bad Christmas. They all care about their paycheck. The ones that don't care, that don't listen, that don't understand that this tech's efficiency is down, way down. What's going on? Can we work on this? Is this something that we're doing wrong, that they're doing wrong? What's the deal here? And if those people aren't willing to accept that data and how to get better. We call them cancers in our shops and we have to move on from there. You have to keep people in there. They they care about those numbers. They want to see those greens. When we look at our scorecard, there's a red there. And if it's a kept informed red, the technicians are the first ones to get after those estimators and CSRs. I mean, they're like, hey, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. You guys need to do what you need to do. So this reminds me of a great idea we had probably six years ago. I was frustrated by the fact that some of your better technicians, they kind of stiff arm the front of the shop, you know, like, hey, they don't say it, but they work on the cars they want to work on. And they don't really care about the obligations that we've set, the due dates. And it's not horrible. I don't mean to suggest they ignore all of it, but they just, they have their own agenda. And it always frustrated me like, hey, wait a second here. We all serve a customer, period, nothing else. So as an experiment, we announced a finish strong campaign where there was three variables in the CSI that really you could attribute to the tech. Was it done on time? Was it done right the first time? And did you have to come back for anything? I think that was it. And so those are the three things you could directly attribute to a tech. And we said, okay, we're going to measure those three and the best tech in each shop with the best CSI score will get $100 cash because we wanted a ceremony. We wanted to highlight the excellence. And so we did it. And we saw a two-point increase in our overall CSI almost immediately. You'd think we were giving away cars. So the thing we didn't think of is... I didn't think of tiebreakers. So like some shops, I'd have three techs with perfect CSI. I'm like, gosh, dog it. But you know what? I'm like, that's, that's a problem I should be wishing for. Went so well that we've been doing it ever since. So every month, the managers send a picture of the tech that got the $100 bill. And yes, we process it through payroll legally, but it's a $100 bill. And we have a WhatsApp group called All Employees. We put it on and everyone gets to see, hey... Old boy took care of business at that time. At the end of the year, we also have year-end awards where the techs and the writers can place first, second, and third in the company. And then the top tech and writer in each store gets a year-end CSI bonus and a plaque. Because I want to celebrate those people. I want to celebrate the people that are bringing that value. And frankly, a really good and organized body man helps get good CSI. And so dive into that a little bit more. The technicians... Obviously, they weren't that way when they came to your shop or when you took that shop over. So tell me a little bit about that. You just didn't show up and then all of a sudden things changed. What did you have to do differently with the techs as far as tools or repair process or whatever? It's interesting. This is a blue collar business, right? And uh, I always have had heartburn with the belief that blue collar employees, they slog it out at the old salt mill and go home. 
And I've just never felt like that was the case. I feel like they do that because nobody informs them. Nobody gives them information on how well they're doing, how well their business is doing. And I've always thought that was a big crime of small businesses, like managers and owners get all these great manager reports, but they never share them with their employees. And so I decided many years ago that I would not be that type of manager. I would share every single notable KPI of the company with my employees, because when they're kicking ass and taking names, they have the right to feel that. And frankly, if they're underperforming or if we're not clicking on all cylinders, I want that to be revealed in that information that we provide. FixAuto does these things called top 100 reports. We put them on the walls and we highlight all the, either our shops or our people. And what happens is I'll walk into a break room and I'll see a tech on the phone and he's looking at the tech CSI and you'll see a tech calling his brother who is at another one of our shops and say, I kicked your ass again in CSI. And that just does my heart warm, right? That's pride. So like, how do we create a work environment that people can be proud of what they do for a living, proud of where they work and enjoy the camaraderie of their fellow employees? And I just feel like communicating with them and informing them and having a clean, organized and safe work environment is a foundation of all that. Yeah. So we all know that technician shortages is a real, it's a real thing. It's we all struggle Very with real. it. And yeah. you have to separate yourself from your competitors to be able to get those technicians, right? In the central Arkansas market, we are flooded with dealers that have their own body shops. So we, you know, we're going to do this a little differently. We're going to treat these people as, they're not going to be as numbers. We're going to, I'm going to have a manager's head quickly for not talking to a technician the way that he should, not handling a situation the way they should. Our employees are our most valuable asset that we have in our company. And I spend a lot of time in the shops learning who these technicians are, what's their name, what's their kid's name, who are their families, and treat them as human beings as they are. They're not just workhorses for you. They're human beings that are pouring their heart and soul out to you on a day-to-day basis. And we have every position filled now and have technicians waiting to come to work. Pay them what you should pay them. Take care of them the way that you should. Give them health insurance. Give them the dental, the vision. Give them a 401. Give them something to retire on, something to look forward to. And don't treat them as just a number. And I know, Rich, you got eight, so it's getting a little bit more difficult for you to know every employee that you have. I mean, it's getting hard for myself as well. I walk into shops sometimes. I'm like, who, who's that? I have to get reminded. I was like, that's the guy that started last week. Yeah. Okay. So who are you? Those are things that with the large MSOs, the Calvers, the Gerbers, they don't have that down-home touch. And that's what us as franchisees, we can't lose that down-home touch and that, that caring touch of, does that owner care about you? And that answer better be yes. If any of your people say, no, he does not care about us, you, you need to step back and you need to look at yourself and go, man, I'm doing something wrong. They need to be treated like humans. Give them something proper, not just blue collar. Give them a collared shirt to wear to work. Put them in a polo. Make them feel that they're somebody because they are. You're raising a great point. It's really easy to forget to take a moment and celebrate the occasions that come your way, whether it's record sales, perfect CSI, or the anniversary of an employee, their birthday. It's crazy. And look, I'm guilty of this, but I keep trying to take these moments and celebrate these milestones. Our San Clemente store in the recent Fix Auto Conference won the CSI award for the year and the shop of the year. And we gave everybody a bonus. We went and had a lunch. We brought a cake. And it's so easy to like, oh my God, good job and move along. No, you got to take a moment and celebrate these things because you're not wrong, Chase. If we don't show the appreciation for these folks that they deserve, someone else will. That's right. Taking a minute and just celebrating those wins. And when the losses come, we look into those losses and why we're losing and why we can't get this out faster or get more efficiency or do this thing. But 
the wins as simple as a birthday or anniversary or something. We just don't do that. So yeah. And the store managers, they get mad at me when I come in. Like, they get mad. I'm like, oh, here's Chase. Chase comes in there and he loads up six or seven technicians and loads them in the truck. And there they go. They go eat lunch. They're gone for an hour and a half. And you do that every two, three weeks to a month. You do that for your employees, man, whatever burden they had or whatever they were irritated about, they either told you and you were able to fix it or they were like, you know what? This guy's not as bad as I thought he was. And I do that pretty regularly. Like I said, store managers, they get mad at me like, count my production. I know that. It's a necessary evil. You're helping their production in the long run. That's right. Yeah. By the way, that's a great idea that I don't do enough of. We all don't do enough of that. So I think that's an awesome idea. Let's move it to the customer now. What kind of changes have you implemented to make the customer feel more whole? so to speak. Our check-in process has changed on bringing the customers in. The store manager and production manager are all meeting with the customer and explaining the repair process of how things are going to go and that they're getting a store manager that's talking to them. We also have a CSR communicates with that customer and making sure the communication's going through or the text going through or if they're choosing to call or the call's going through and sending tasks to those people that need to be tasked to make sure that the customer stays informed. We're trying to find ways to offer crazy customer service where they go, man, they were just so nice to me. They were so good. They were so helpful. I didn't have to do anything. All I had to do was just show up and they took care of everything. That's continually evolving. I can't say that we have any unique revelations in this area. It's just we stick to the basics of our business. Frankly, every time we lose our way, it's we've lost our way with something foundational. But it's a, the checking into the car. We map the car in front of the customer, get agreement on what we're going to do and not do. The communication tools proactively communicate with them, whether it's text, email, or calls. They don't call you. And your shop doesn't sound like a $600,000 shop. It sounds like a $200,000 shop because the phone doesn't ring. And I always tell the writers, if you want a better quality of life, proactively call your customers. A good fanatical QC sheet, the writer who took the car in delivers the car. I want them to look the customer in the eye again and know that they made good on their commitments. And the category of Yelp, I personally respond to every single Yelp score in my company, good or bad. I put a lot of energy into making sure that we have commendable Yelp scores in the company. And I share those Yelp scores and the Google scores with everybody in the company monthly so they know, again, how we're doing and what our customers think of our work product and the service we deliver. We do the basics well. We got a business we can be proud of. We run into a problem. We keep asking ourselves, how do we get there? What can we do to fix it? What can we do to prevent it from ever happening again? That's a key question to ask yourself and get to the root of the problem. Peel the onion back. Where is the foundation of this issue happening? And Let's try to attack that problem to the best of our ability. I like to use the five whys. Any of my shops out there listening right now, they know what I'm talking about. We just ask the question, why? Five times. You'll do that root cause analysis when you get to that fifth why, or at least by the third, you'll know where the problem lies. Now you have to go through and have a conversation and think about what do we need to do different to shift our focus on this? I couldn't be a bigger believer in that. That again is a lean six sigma term, five whys. We get that a lot. Hey, what's going on with our cycle time? Well, parts. Really? Why? And guess what? Parts is sometimes it's a problem, but it's rarely the problem. Usually you get back to the quality of the estimatics. You look at the supplement rates. You know, when we started this journey, 47% of all of our sales came from supplements back in from 05 to 07, 47%. And Back then, people that I worked with said, hey, supplements are great, more profit, more revenue for us. And once I got enough kind of confidence as an operator at that level of granularity, I started calling bullshit on that. Like, that's not right. This is a process flaw. We started working on that. Once we got our supplement rates into the single digits, we saw cycle time going from 15 days to nine days, then seven days. It was like magic. And candidly, if you're going to lower the amount of work in your shops such that your techs can stay busy, you can't have two and a half supplements per RO. You can't afford it. You got to keep these folks busy. Why does a body tech want 10 cars in their name? Because they want to stay busy. 
But a good body shop only needs to have three to five cars in a text name because you're not waiting on supplements. You're not waiting on secondary approvals. You're writing a good repair plan, a blueprint early on. And again, it's the foundation of the business. Let me ask this question. All of this streamlining, all this Lean Six Sigma, all of what you've done today, is that the catalyst, the actual thing that made you be able to acquire the next one? If you're asking me, there's no way I could have eight body shops and run them like I ran the body shop from 2005 to 2007. We have a single page document we call Investments in Our Sanity. And it's about 12 bullet points. And they're all things that we could claim, hey, I was too busy to do it. But if we take the time to do it, we've got a business we're proud of. I'll give you an example, checking parts. When the part crosses our threshold into the parts room, the parts person is obligated, according to our rules, to open that box while the driver stands there. Now, that doesn't always happen, but it happens very quickly. If we got the wrong part, I don't want to know in four days we're putting it together. We got the right tail light and not the left. I want to know right then and there. I want to prevent that fire and not fight the fire. And so a lot of the stuff that we do is designed to prevent fires and not fight fires. I'll give you another example. We don't let the carriers load up our shops on Monday and Tuesday. If I have a 10 car intake in a shop, I want 10 on Monday and I want 10 on Friday. It's not always easy to do and it's never perfect, but you can do it if you put some energy into it. And that keeps an elegant flow in the shop. The other thing is whip. People love to see work in their body shops. And it takes a lot of strength and a lot of conviction to know that there is literally an optimal level of work and process you can have in any given body shop. And whip keeps growing and it doesn't leave. Right. And, and candidly, whip is comforting. You look around, oh my gosh, we have so much work here. But the reality is, I always say, look at our exposure to paying for rental cars. Look at the upside customers. Look at the lot damage. If you get a level of whip in a shop you can deal with, think low. If you want to do 400000 in sales, carry hundred grand. Turn it four times, you have world-class CSI, world-class cycle time, and you've got a quality of life for your staff that they probably have never contemplated. So let me ask you this. We've done this process organization. We've done the parts. We've done the technicians and talked about with the customer communication and organize the shop and all of this, right? That wasn't overnight. It took a long time. Is it done or is this never ending? You tell me. No, it's never ending. It's a never-ending struggle that the industry changes on a day-to-day basis. New equipment's needed. New things are needed for the shop. New training, new one thing after another. So it never ends. You evolve into big, giant frame machines to smaller frame machines. And then big, giant measuring systems to one little arm. So things are constantly evolving and changing. And there's always a better way to do something. You hire some guys like, hey, we've done this this way years ago. This works so good. Just listen and just know that you're not the smartest guy in the room all the time and just evolve. Yeah. Conceptually, the pursuit of excellence is never done. Frankly, it's a big mistake a lot of owners do. They pursue Lean Six Sigma, they organize their shop, they paint it, they hang some size. They're like, okay, here we go. I'm good. You're not good. There's a lot to do. And frankly, that first cut is awesome and it's a great jumping off point, but you got to take a second cut. I've probably redone almost every department of our businesses many times because times change. There's different tools. There's different ways to think about it. I agree. I think it's an ever-changing and ever-evolving industry. So any final words from Chase or Rich? Fundamental blocking and tackling. That's the foundation of any good small business. You do that, the planet to line nicely for you. And just generally speaking, for those that are listening, I wish you all well. We've certainly broadened our fixed auto family to include CarStar and Abra and others. And the adventure has not been without its character building moments, but in the end, it's been pretty compelling. And you can just see the power that's coming our way, whether it's innovation, the use of technology, marketing, brand building, or what have you. We just got to make sure that we on our end of the bargain and run our business in a way that we'd all be proud of. 
and all of us franchisees out there just remember there's always someone out there that said you couldn't do this and you're doing it so keep working hard and let's make this thing better i love it i want to say thank you both i appreciate you joining us and the insights that you've shared and being part of the driven brands family and for everybody else out there if you're interested look us up thanks a lot for joining guys thank Thank you. you Stay tuned for new episodes to come by subscribing to our podcast and following Collision Buzz on Instagram or Facebook. Get ready to experience more savings, more deals, and more time all on one site, drivenadvantage.com.